It's time for This Week in WordPress, episode number 204. This episode, entitled Tin Foil Hats. It was recorded on Monday, the 11th of April, 2022. My name's Nathan Wrigley, and this week I will be joined by Jess Frick and Rob Rowley. We're going to talk about a whole load of WordPressy things. For example, the fact that WordPress has now rolled on to 5.9.3. It's a maintenance release, so there's not much to see there. We also talk about the fact that the contributor panel has released a video, a Zoom link, which is where they did for over 120 guests during the week last week, showing what WordPress 6 will be like. It's a new initiative, and it seems to have been fairly well received. There's also some WP drama that we spend some time on. WordPress.com changed their pricing and tier structures during last week and there was some flack from the community because things seemed to go down in terms of the amount of resources that you could get so they addressed that later in the week we get into that flexbox containers are now available in elementor if you're an elementor user you'll be delighted about that some lovely additions to jetpack you can now get qr codes and free images from the openverse right inside of jetpack we also talk about ai generated content and the fact that google are now saying if they find it they're going to mark it as spam and then finally couple of pieces right at the end we talk about crypto and all of the losses that have been experienced over the last year and it is an eye-wateringly large amount of money that has been lost just in the last three months and then we wrap up with a story about very very expensive non-existent art it's all coming up next on this week in wordpress Hello, 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 hello. Once again, I'm going to do the David Frost introduction. Hello, good evening, and welcome. This is WP Builds. It's episode number 204. Can you believe it? 204. We're going to talk more or less endlessly for 90 minutes about WordPress and then drop in some some silliness at the end. But I'm joined today by two people. Um, we, we are supposed to be joined by a third, but they don't seem to have made it. So if they do, we will be joined by a third person. But for, for now, we've got two. We've got Jess Frick, who's joined us many times before. How are you doing, Jess? I am fantastic. How are you, Nathan? I Yes, I was just saying before I hit go, I'm in a bit of a silly mood today. I don't quite know why but I'm in a bit of a silly mood, so we'll see, we'll see how this goes. I'm, Do you know, you know that kind of feeling where you just want to giggle more than usual? I'm in that kind of a mood, so let's... I let's... feel like that is the perfect mood for WP Builds. Okay, okay. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to maintain that mood in that case, but I'm going to introduce you properly first. Uh, Jess Frick, Jess. Jess is the Director of Operations for Pressable, an iced tea connoisseur and a proud member of the post-status community. Iced tea connoisseur. Yeah, iced tea. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. I love whites, greens, and I will occasionally do some fruity ones. But <laughs> yeah, I know that you guys are all about the English tea. It's a bit much for me, but I do like it when it's got that lavender undertone. I I can't um, say that I've ever had iced tea. The, the I've got to admit the idea kind of it makes me feel a bit queasy. But <laughs> really? Oh yeah, it's got to have milk and be hot. Basically. Oh, wow. Okay. Well, if Ted Lasso's to be believed, it's all garbage anyway. So, <laughs> Tell us about Pressable, though. I know that you've been there for, a, a, well, I don't know exactly how long, but certainly it hasn't been years and years and years. It's relatively no. recent. How's the experience going at Pressable? Are you enjoying that? 
I will say um, switching teams is always a strange experience. Um, you know, I'm I'm like a new girl in a new land, um, but this is my second month at Pressable and I am absolutely loving it. I will say getting to be a part of the larger automatic team has been amazing. Um, for those who don't know, Pressable is owned by automatic and we're the same people that, you know, bring you wordpress.com and WordPress VIP. Um, so learning to navigate in the larger automatic world with this small little startup company has just been a really, really cool experience. Oh, that's really nice. Two months in and you're still smiling. That's very, very cool indeed. Um, yeah. yeah. So let, let's move on. Let's introduce our second guest. This is somebody that we've not had on the show before. This is Robert Rowley. Is it? I, forgive me, Robert. I didn't establish at the beginning. Is it Rowley or Rowley? Because I, uh, You know what? I've, I've heard it both, both yeah. ways my entire life. I've never corrected anyone. Oh, okay. In which case, I'm going to call you Robert Rowley. Robert is the security advocate for Patchstack, uh, which is a company committed to helping secure websites running open source software. And he's passionate when it comes to sharing knowledge of web application and open source security concerns. Anybody who's been following the WordPress security space for any length of time will probably remember that uh, Patchstack rebranded, oh, I'm going to say like 12 months ago or something like that, from WebArcs. And um, if you're interested, I did a podcast with uh, Oliver Sild, which which Robert actually featured in because we talked about the the non-rebuttal rebuttal article that you wrote, <laughs> which was quite good. That's over on the WP Tavern website. Anyway, Robert, a real pleasure to have you with us. Um, Thank you. Anything else you want to share before we begin about Patch Stack? Um, no, you covered most of it. I mean, obviously, check out the earlier episode to get the more detailed details. But yeah, PatchStack runs a the PatchStack Alliance, which collects, uh, it's basically a bug bounty program, which gamifies reports for vulnerabilities in open source software. Right now, we're focused on the WordPress ecosystem because we see a need and it's the biggest market. And uh, yeah, we've been wildly successful in the last year to collect a lot of vulnerabilities, but it's not about the vulnerabilities. It's about getting that information to the developers so the developers can patch their code. We're committed to, to actually securing the infrastructure and the ecosystem that run basically everything WordPress. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. And hopefully after this experience, you won't feel, you won't feel so bad and you'll want to come on again. That would be lovely. A <laughs> uh, couple of things just before we begin, a few bits of housekeeping, if you like. The first one is I'd really appreciate it if you've got this on, on a sec second monitor or something and you've got Twitter or Facebook open. Why not spend four seconds of your life copying and pasting a URL? Go to wpbuilds.com forward slash live, copy it, bang it in Twitter with something along the lines of I'm watching WP builds, it's the best thing ever, or, you know, sub submit any form of exaggeration into that sentence and hit, hit return. And let's see if we can swell the audience a little bit. Really appreciate that. If you want to make comments, feel free to do that. Just one little caveat. If you're on the Facebook side of things, then you will need to go to a particular URL. Let me show it for you. It's chat.restream.io forward slash FB. Otherwise, you come through all anonymous, which you might want. But then again, you might not. Um, but if you don't want to be de-anonymized, that's fine. Maybe you could write your name in the comment or something like that. It just helps out a little bit. That would be lovely. Write your questions and what have you. I can see a few of you have posted some comments already. Uh, Courtney's T plus sunshine equals flowers or <laughs> something like that. Uh, Rob, Rob Cairns, fellow podcaster. Good morning, everyone. Hello. Happy Monday. He's sending some coffee. Elliot Sowerby, 
who's just down the Sowersby, I should say. Sorry, Elliot. He's just down the road from me, actually. He's saying hello. And Lana. Lana's a new name to me. Lana Miro or Miro. I apologize if I got that wrong. He says, she says, he says, I don't know. Hey, you guys. And who's this Nikhil. one? Nikhil Chowdhury. Have I said Chowdhury right? It's just saying hello. Yeah. Nikhil's from Pressable. Oh, nice. We have members of the Pressable crowd in the audience. Is that because you went and copied and pasted that URL? It Twitter? took four seconds, Nathan. It took only four seconds. Do you see how easy it is? There's no excuse. And uh, Paul, Paul Bedford, greetings from the slightly damp South Africa. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, I live in Great Britain. I'm well accustomed to the word slightly and damp. We know exactly what that feels like. But thank you for joining us. That's really cool, Paul. Thanks. Let's share the screen. Uh, first things first, this is us, wpbuilds.com. Let's not waste any more time on that. But that's our website. They've got We've got menus at the top and all sorts. And if you click on the menus, you go to other pages and there's things on those pages. But you can figure that out for yourself. I am just going to start off with the fact that WordPress 5.9.3 maintenance release came around. This sort of snuck in over the last week or so. Hopefully, with these maintenance releases, you have enabled your WordPress websites to kind of update themselves automatically so you didn't have to go in and do anything. I typically get the, the prompt email. That's very often the first sign that I know it's happening. And then I get one, and then a few minutes later, I get another, and on it goes for a couple of hours. Um, and 5.9.3 came around this week. It was a maintenance release, meaning it's basically bug fixes. And there are nine of them. I didn't know, Robert, with your security hat on, I didn't know if there was anything of great interest in there from a security point of view. I just wanted to mention it yeah. in case anybody had not bothered to update their sites. But, Robert, was there anything meaty in there? It didn't, I did not see anything security-related. And they normally make it pretty clear when there's a security release. They don't. WordPress core doesn't hide those things. Yeah, yeah. So that's me basically just letting yeah. you know that that has happened. But hopefully... You knew that already. So let's move on to the next one. This is over on the WP Tavern, Sarah Gooding. We're going to feature a few bits from the Tavern, as we most often do. It's very often a podcast where we just talk about things that are on the Tavern, and there'll be a bit of that today, I'm afraid. Sarah Gooding wrote a piece on the 7th of April. She called it WordPress Contributors Host 6.0 Walkthrough. Now, I don't know if this is a first or if they've, been, or if they've done this before. I feel like it's a first. It feels to me ever since WordPress 5.0 came around, and let's rewind the clock. We're back in, whoa, what was it, 20-something, and WordPress 5.0 came around, and, and in into that release of WordPress was Snuck Gutenberg. Well, it wasn't Snuck, but you get the point. Gutenberg came along, and a lot of people at that point, point felt that the communication had been poor from the team who were releasing these uh, core updates, especially the point releases, 5.0, 6.0, and so on. And there was quite a lot of soul searching, I think. People like um, Josepha Hayden-Chomposi, who's the executive director, she made it very public that she wanted to know how things could be improved. Um, off the back of that, over the last few years, we've had people like Anne McCarthy doing the full site editing outreach program and what have you. And then this popped up, which I just thought was a really curious and, and bravo, actually, is what I'd say to this. It looks like we had a Zoom call uh, last week, and it does actually say, look, there it is. It says right at the top, first of its kind event. 
And basically, anybody was invited to show up and get get a bit of an eye, a bit of an eye insights, I should say, into what's coming around in WordPress 6.0. Now we could go into what all the features are. They're listed on the page. It says WordPress 6.0 is set to include approximately 400 updates including 500 bug fixes. There's going to be a style switcher. There's going to be um, there's going to be templates for author, date, category, tag, taxonomy. There's a whole load of stuff, including the web fonts, API, and more. But my the reason I've raised this is I just wondered what you guys thought about this. Do you think this stuff is just sort of shouting into the wind, or does this help? If 129, I think, was the number, people show up, Obviously, compared to the user base of WordPress, that's a fairly small number. But I think for initiatives like this, that's that's a pretty decent number. So I'm just going to throw this out to both of you and see what you think about something like this. Basically, the .org side trying to tell you what they're doing in advance, not just put it into your WordPress update. Nobody. No one. I, I can I say... Yeah, the problem is it is one of these things, isn't it? It's so easy to be polite, and everybody sometimes it's better if I just say, isn't it? And I'll just okay, so Jess, you go first. Oh, goodness. Um, at the risk of sounding controversial, I will say people hate it when we don't tell them in advance, and then they get frustrated when we do. Um, Courtney just mentioned uh, detailed notes for the recap outline and transcription. It's a great way to ask folks to test out the things coming. I completely agree. Um, I'm a big fan of advanced communication. I think that WordPress.org did a great thing. Um, shout out to everybody that is involved with Make because Make WordPress is super important. Um, and I think the team did a really good job of capturing everything in advance because this is a collaborative approach. and. The community is what makes it. So I, I give it 10. Nice. We need a little paddle. Each of us should have had a paddle. I do. Here, hang on. I've got a, I've got a flag. <laughs> okay. Yay. It Way to go. Make WordPress team. It, yeah. I'm just going to hold up Ted as well. Uh, yeah. Thank you for that. That's an interesting insight. And Robert, what, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah. Well, I mean, security is where I come from. And communication with security is key. When anybody I've met in the past that has tried to handle security issues in the like in the dark, uh, it comes up it comes back much worse almost always. Uh, so in this case, obviously, this is nothing to do with security. This is all features and new new things like that. But I think it's just so critically important to uh, to communicate what the changes are. And I know the WordPress team has done that in the past. I've seen it with 5.0 and the releases prior, but. Uh, to do it, you get to go even more and try yeah. to push further, like having Zoom meetings, having people there. Yeah. It allows a, you know, a time and place. Like, you know, we can all have this chat right now, and then we're going to go move on with the uh, 6.0 release. Yeah, I've got to say that's kind of the point, isn't it? It was an interactive call where people could watch what was happening on the screen and obviously in joining the chat and what have you. Um, it would it would seem, uh, according to Sarah's uh, Sarah's reporting anyway, that they they think it was a success because I'll just put the quote back up. And I can't remember who said it. It looks like it was Dan Shoshchin 
said that they're considering making these types of live product demonstrations more frequent. And I'll quote, based on the positive experience among the panelists and attendees, I believe it is feasible that another walkthrough could take place closer to the release date, as well as become a regular part of the communication cycle for future releases. I've got to say, I would far rather watch something than be a part of a difficult to follow Slack channel that I was personally unable to be in 24-7. So this type of approach, I'm not denigrating anything, by the way. I'm just saying it, this just works for me. Obviously, I, I like doing video. I like consuming audio, those kind of that, that kind of makeup works for me. So um, yeah, thank you. Courtney said in the comments here, she said detailed notes for the recap outline and transcription. Okay, thank you. It's a great way to ask folks to test out the things coming. That's good. And then she's responding to you. Um, there, Jess, she says, so true about how people receive the news. Let's keep telling folk and directing them through testing and where how to log feedback proactively yeah i also feel that like it taps into the younger generation a bit better you know the the youtube generation who certainly my children would rather watch than read i don't know if that's ubiquitous across the planet but it feels like they're really into watching tutorials not necessarily reading tutorials but that could just be my my little enclave of the world right okay that was the first piece next piece coming up okay this oh, where do we go with this? Um, this is going to be bit. Yeah, <laughs> for those of you, for those of you not watching this, Jessica, Jessica literally just hid. <laughs> this is, uh, in fact, I've got four stories covering the exact same story. We won't dwell on them all, but you know, this is just part of a growing business, right? I, I, I am genuinely not here to bash anybody, but it's a story. It came out this week, and it's definitely newsworthy. So four pieces. First one is over on WordPress.com. So this is not about your .org. Nothing for the next 10 minutes or whatever is about the .org side of things. This is all about some probably, let's say that there were some missteps last week in terms of communicating the pricing of .com websites. I do not have any .com websites. You know, that's just my thing. I would rather spin up a server and plonk some .org goodness on there. But lots of people do, many, many millions, in fact. And on certain levels, you can have WordPress.com website absolutely free. You don't have to pay a single penny. And then you might pay a little bit more, and you get more features, and you pay a little bit more, and you get more features, and a little bit more, and you get more features. Well, at least that was the way it was always done until last week when the pricing basically went to one plan. Um, and they describe it in this article as introducing WordPress Pro, one plan, infinite possibilities. And I'll just quote, uh, it says, hello, Pro. One thing heard over the years was how hard it can be to choose the right upgrade plan when you're ready to scale up from free. WordPress Pro radically simplifies that decision by rolling the very best of managed WordPress hosting into a single affordable plan at just $15 per month paid annually. Okay, that sounds great. Um, but what wasn't really necessarily communicated here was that in if you uh, if you didn't if you previously had a WordPress plan you could pay significantly less I think it was around the five four dollar mark and you could get three gigs of storage and as far as memory serves you you had no caps on bandwidth whereas what this new tier does 
It's $15, which, you know, in terms of WordPress hosting, isn't astronomical. I could certainly point you to lots of things which would be more expensive. But your, your allowance on the free plan has now gone from three gigabytes down to 500 megabytes. So that has been sixth. Try saying that after you've had a couple of drinks. That has been sixth, made, made a sixth bigger. And they've also put in some constraints on how many page views you can have. 10,000 visits was what was communicated. Now, you can imagine how well this went down. Um, and it was quickly rolled back. Looks like lots of press in lots of different parts of the WordPress ecosystem got hold of this. And, you know, WP drama, it all got flared up. Uh, Sarah Gooding wrote a piece about it on WP Tavern about the fact that the limits had changed and so on and so forth and kind of pulled apart the pricing and the way it had been messaged, the fact that lots and lots of different plans had now been rolled into one plan and the fact that it's all very well saying that $15 a month is an affordable plan. I guess that depends where you live and how much money you've got in your back pocket. So fast forward a couple of days and... This is what you'd hope, right? If there was a furora from the community, rather than isolating yourself from it and saying, nope, that's what we're doing, they decided to modify things. So they've doubled or thirded, depending on which way you look at it, they doubled the, the storage from 500 meg to a gig. Bear in mind, that's still a third the size that it was previously. If memory serves, they've taken away all the constraints in terms of page views. But anyway, it looks like this was a bit of a PR cluster shall we say last week and uh i think that's about as much as it of it as i can say so i'm going to hand it over and did you were you insulated from this robert did this affect you were you in any way it did not affect me in any way <laughs> no no aside from reading a few articles i mean yeah all the points you made were exactly what i read and i agree with yeah a lot of it comes down to where you are is 15 dollars too much or not yeah, because if you are on the, the $5 plan and you were very happy over there, uh, oh, 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 one massive caveat. Sorry, I should have said this right at the beginning. This is not for old users. This is this You are grandfathered into what you had, which is very important, and I should have said yeah. that at the start. This is if you are now making a new website. So anything that you've already got, you can stop worrying. You're not going to have to dig into a, you know, make your pockets slightly deeper. You're fine. But if you want to make a new website, then you will need to um, dig a little bit deeper, possibly. Jessica, I don't know how you've been riding this during the week. I don't know if this has been a news feature in your cycle. I expect it has, possibly more than Robert and me. Well... Again, Pressable is a different brand than Automatic, and so Pressable plans haven't changed. But I can tell you that we obviously support our family over at WordPress.com. Um, rather than make my statement, I'll just repeat something that said. You know, we've hosted countless millions of freaks and traffic for 17 years, and we want to do so for 17 more. And that means it needs to be sustainable. Um, I've, had you not made the point, I was going to make it as well. People on legacy plans are free to stay there. Um, I think a lot of people got frustrated and how do I say this nicely? I think a lot of people with opinions weren't even using wordpress.com. <laughs> yeah. Here's me, right? Here's so, me talking about it. And I, all I'm, all I'm doing is like blowing I, more hot air. <laughs> Again, though, you know, this is me speaking, not my company's thoughts in any way. That that was 100% Jess Frick. So 
let send all your hate mail to me. I think it's great for people to have opinions, but I just think that, you know, the people that are actually using wordpress.com love it. People are using the free plan. They log in there every single day. They blog every single day. Um, and again, with at the risk of sounding like I'm going to do an infomercial, pressable.com. Um, if you don't like the $15 plan, there are other options available for you in the industry. The thing, the thing which I found most interesting was just the range of opinions. Because, you know, you put out a blog post and typically you're lucky to get one or two comments, you know, over on the tavern, which has got a big audience. Sometimes the comment thread can stretch for multiple and very often there'll be one or two. This, um, this got sort of six pages of comments and lots and lots and lots of different people. And I think the big, there were some people who were, putting a very you know nuanced opinion sort of saying it's fine i'm 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 okay with that it's completely fine there were other people who were really talking about reputational damage though and they were saying that they felt this was the the, the moment where they were going to go and look for other solutions and in fact i, I can't find it now because the six pages of these comments and blow me i'm never going to find it but i did see instances where people said i, I am throwing in the towel and I'm going to go and move my site to to Wix, for example. That was one comment that I remembered. Mm -hmm. And I guess that's the, the, the bit that hurts. Well, I think at the risk of, you know, undercutting my employer, um, I will say that the technology that WordPress.com is built on is superior to a lot of other solutions. It's fantastic. It's rock solid, automatic failover, and it can scale with you. And I think that having to pay $15 a month is extremely reasonable for what you're getting. It would be a shame for someone to leave the entire WordPress ecosystem because they have to pay a little bit more to get something that's worth far more. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I think if they go to Wix, they're going to be back. Uh, one of the changes too on this $15 a month account is that they get all of the plugins now. Unlike before with the $4, $8 accounts, they were limited on the plugins that you could install. This is, a, now it's in my realm, uh, security related. Uh, so it's gonna open up a lot of people to get extendability on their website a lot, and also the responsibility of keeping your plugins up to date. Do you know, that's a really, that's a really fascinating point. And we, we, did, we did address that a couple of weeks ago, or the fact that the, the, the repository of .org plugins is going out. So yeah, that's interesting. And I didn't see that as part of the messaging, I, or at least I didn't catch that anywhere as a part of the, well, here's a, here's a feature that you're getting. Um, and it's a great big benefit. There were a few people making the opposite point, actually, in just in the comments saying, I don't want all of that. I just want a basic yeah. website. And I, I, don't, I don't care for the, the 50,000 plugins or whatever. But yeah, I just thought it was quite interesting. You know, um, yeah. So there we go. If you are getting a new WordPress.com website, this will affect you. But nice to see at least the, the people listening um, and making, you know, making alterations. We'll see. See where that goes. But I've got four pieces here. I'll link to them all in the, the show notes. There's one on WP Tavern. There's another one over at WordPress.com. And there's a couple more on WP Tavern. But basically, they sort of say the same thing. But the story changed over the week, uh, which is quite rare in the WordPress space. It's normally it's just a story and then another story and then a different story. This one actually had like two or three, a two or three day news cycle, which was quite nice as things got updated. Okay. Well, and before we go, though, I'd just like to point out that that shows yeah. that WordPress.com is listening. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the Sorry, you carry on. I apologize. 
No, I was just going to say they're listening and they're receptive to feedback, which is not something that you see everywhere else. Yeah. In fact, now let me get the person's name right. Who was it who put out the statement? I've forgotten. Was it Dave? Somebody? I forget. Apologies to whoever it was. Uh, yeah, they they stepped in fairly quickly and said, basically... It was that, uh, Dave Martin. Thank you. Dave Martin had said that this, this has been their tactic uh, on the WordPress.com side for a, a period of time. They would release a new thing and then wait for a few days, see how it had gone, get some feedback, and then... Uh, sort of publicly comment about it. And that seems to have worked. I guess when you're fiddling with pricing and plans, maybe that was something that they need to address. So it sounds like they're not going to do that in the future. Um, they're going to possibly communicate those changes, which kind of links back to what we saw a second ago over on the .org side with the release of 6.0. I know I've got all the hands going on this week, Jess. Look at me. <laughs> Yay. Uh, Jess, yes. I'm, yeah, I'm waving my hands a lot for those who are listening. And... You know, maybe maybe the dot com side can do more of these videos. This is what we're thinking of doing, and so on. But I guess it's different; it's a com commercial entity, so it can sort of do what it likes. Uh, any of you use Elemental? Elemental users, either of you? I Definitely do heard not actively. Yeah, I don't actively use it, but I've used it to test it, learn it, and I've used it in the past. Okay. Well, this is our next piece. the The Elemental guys have got a fairly sizable thing coming. This is this is really cool. So cool, in fact, it's not just a blog post, it's an entire subdomain. It's called Flex Introducing Flexbox Containers. Now, I, I'm gonna butcher what Flexbox does. I mean, I know in principle what it does and I've fiddled with it, but I fiddle with other people's implementations of it. I haven't really explored the guts of how it all works. But, um, if you've been using a variety of different building tools and you've ever come across Flexbox, you'll know that it allows you to have really customizable, highly, highly complex designs, and you can create them much more easily than traditional ways of doing it. And up until this point, page builders, for example, Elementor, everything has been done in kind of rows and grids and so on, which means that they've been constrained. But now they have this new implementation of Flexbox. And it, like I said, it, you can find it over at flexbox.elementor.com, flexbox.elementor.com. Yes, I did get that right. It's in Elementor 3.6. And essentially, you can go and have a play. You can go to their little playground and start to fiddle and see if it's for you. I don't know in terms of when it's going to be released or any of that, or if you're going to be able to just one-click import your old designs, or if you're just going to have to suddenly move everything over to this. I don't really know. But uh, anyway, there it is. I just thought I'd raise the awareness for the community that Flexbox has come to Elementor. And no doubt if you're a hardcore Elementor user, this will be of great interest. But maturation of a blooming massive tool. This is 10% of WordPress last time I looked. So it's 4 million websites Sorry, 4% of the web allegedly is using Elementor, which is a pretty astonishing claim. So again, uh, let's go with Robert, if he's got anything to add. Perhaps he doesn't. No, I, I, I'm not a designer. But yeah. I did go through this page, and I think when you scroll down with it, it was pretty cool. I have no idea if that's what the... <laughs> the if what that's, the if that's what they're actually doing. Yeah, <laughs> I just like, like the videos. 
if there's one company in the WordPress space, and maybe Robert, you don't go to the Elementor press releases. If there's one company in the WordPress space who absolutely kill PR, it is Elementor. They just do such a brilliant job. Whenever they produce a video, you know, and like a video explaining their latest updates, it, it's done like in a studio. You know, they've obviously paid to have pros and all the lighting and the proper cameras and everything like that. Uh, they don't muck around, but obviously I would imagine if they've got 10, 10% of WordPress, 4% of the web, they've probably got fairly deep pockets. But uh, Jess, anything on this? I just think it's cool to see how all of these page builders are advancing. You know, I think when Gutenberg came out, everybody said it was going to be the death of Elementor and Beaver Builder and Divi. And that has not been what has happened. Um, in fact, they're continuing to flourish. People are adopting Gutenberg and they're loving it finally. <laughs> um, but I think that we're seeing a real revolution with this kind of stuff. Um, going back to the person you mentioned who wants to go to Wix, I think the future of WordPress is going to include more page builders like this that rival and exceed Wix. It just looks so nice. This I mean, I've no idea what the the sort of page load sizes or anything, but it, just, it is, it's like you say, yeah. Robert, it's just beautifully done, isn't it? There's so many little, little things happening on the page, lots of little scrolls and fade within the scrolls and then images which get overlaid by other images you scroll up. It's just, it's just beautiful. I think they've done a really good job. Anyway, shout out to um, Elementor users, flexbox.elementor.com is where you need to be going. Um, to to look into it all. Uh, speaking of which, I should I didn't mention, but I'm going to. I'm just going to quickly type in a URL because we were Jess was just saying about page builders and all that. If you are into page builders, uh, here's an event for you. Uh, it's called the Page Builder Summit, and if you know me, you'll know that I'm organising it with Anshan Larue. It's happening, as you can see there, from the 20th to the 24th of June, so in a couple of months from now. And we'll probably have, as we have done before, we're finalizing the speakers list at the minute, but there's usually about 40 speakers, something along those lines. And if you are into it, come and join this page. It's pagebuildersummit.com. Click on this button here, join the waitlist, and all that does is it sticks you on our waitlist mailing list, and we'll tell you when we've got some more information. We firmed up the speaker list and so on. If you're watching Nathan, this, and you, yeah, it sounds amazing. How much do I need to save up to attend? Oh my goodness, Jess, it's a good job you should ask. It it all comes at the price of free, nothing, <gasps> no. That was beautifully done. Uh, <laughs> um, we have a we have a system where. It's completely free to join. If you want to watch for, we're going to do it 48 hours this time. If you want to watch the content, you've Whoa. got 40, 48 hours to consume that content, completely gratis. And then after that, we have an upsell called the uh, Power Pack. And if you want to buy that, the price price sort of starts low and goes up towards the event. So you have to sort of get in early kind of thing, early bird type stuff. But um, yeah, if you're interested in that, go to pagebuildersummit.com. And if you if you fancy sponsoring it, there's a little sponsor link down here. If you're from one of those great big companies like <coughs> Pressable or um, <coughs> Patchstack or, uh, you know, any of those kind of big companies, then uh, there's a little link here. Look, it says interested in sponsoring the summit. Find out more. And you can find out more if you do that, you know, and uh, that's not free. <laughs> that's totally not free. But there we go. Pagebuildersummit.com. Right. 
let's move on. I don't know if this is just me. I think probably if I'd have done this on another week with different guests, maybe nobody would have thought this was interesting. But I find this fascinating. This is to say that Jetpack, if you're a Jetpack user, you've got all those extra features that they keep throwing in. There's a couple of features which have been added to Jetpack this week. One of them, which I think is dead cool. Actually, I think they're both dead cool, but maybe you'll have a different opinion. I am finding QR codes everywhere in my world at the minute. I mean, literally everywhere. I went to a shop the other day and I got a receipt and there was a QR code on the bottom of the receipt. I didn't do anything with it, but I'm presuming that that receipt links back to a copy of my receipt online or something so that if I, I don't know, I could somehow photograph it and take my phone in and say, look, I need to return these items. I'm seeing it on like tags of clothes. I'm seeing it on uh, street lamps, caveat emptor. Don't ever click on a QR code on a street lamp because... Well, Robert can tell us more about that in a minute. But I just see them everywhere. They're ubiquitous. And even my parents can use QR codes. And it's just such a simple way of condensing. Everybody's got a phone. Put a really fat, long URL, stick it in an image and take a photograph of it and get people to, um, you know, to come to your online properties. So they've added that little feature in. Look, that's what it looks like. You basically create some content. You click a button. You create a QR code, then you go print it out and put it on a street lamp, you know, and, and people like Robert come along and say, stop, have a think before you take a photograph of that image. Uh, so that's the thing. Let's deal with that first, and then we'll talk about the other bit. Uh, Robert, why shouldn't we be taking photos of QR codes in streets? <laughs> but, I mean, you should, but check it first. <laughs> yeah. Check first. Trust but verify. The QR code is, is just a, it's like a barcode. It has data within it. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a URL, but normally it's just a URL, and it'll send you to a web page. Uh, test it out with your phone first, and make sure your phone do, do a safe a safe QR code first. Test it out. Scan it with your app on your phone. Many camera apps will will scan QR codes for you, and make sure you can read the URL or read the data before you actually like start doing something on your phone. That's the big danger: is that if you're using a QR code app that will automatically open up your browser and start going to a web page. Well, you know, who knows what web page that is? Who knows what the purpose is? Malicious web pages, unfortunately, do exist. Uh, and people posting, you know, QR codes online, or, or sorry, on lampposts uh, would be a very strange, but technically a way to spread uh, malware. But I don't think that there's been many uh, uh, public cases of this. So I should clarify, it certainly has happened uh, because I think I've done it in the past. Uh, just having fun at conferences, security conferences, I should say, not WordCamps, having fun <laughs> at conferences where I trick people to do to go to various web pages and or or hide data uh, within those. Uh, my favorite was at a uh, at a conference that had a QR code for my my badge information, so my email address and my name and et cetera. Well, of course, I went through and I found out that that's just a data blob. So I added my own data and possibly corrupted a lot of marketing people's CSVs as they were. <laughs> But that's, again, just me. And again, this is security conferences. <laughs> I consider this fair game. That's right, yeah. If you go to a security conference. Good old conference drop tables rally. <laughs> yeah. I'm Bobby. I'm also Bobby. And it was the name. I, I had a, the Bobby drop tables badge still. <laughs> 
Oh, yeah. Can I just dwell on that? I was I listen to a security podcast every week. It's on the Twit Network called Security Now. I don't know if you've come across it, Robert. It's with Steve Gibson. It's it's very good. And um, he was saying that there's a bit of a spike in. So imagine, for example, that you go to a conference like the one that you've just mentioned, and you spot a legitimate use of a QR code. What seem what seems to be happening, not a lot, but is going on, is that people just literally print out a QR code of exactly the same size as the legit one, oh, yeah. bit of sticky tape sure. on the back, and just whack it over the top, and all of a sudden you've hijacked what looks like a totally authentic authentic. Well, pro- was underneath okay. the dodgy QR yeah. code is your you know you've put yours on top basically, and you've subverted that advert. You can't do that online. But if I was to go into a shop and start sticking it on their things, there would be nothing to stop me. And I, I'm i almost certain we're going to see that kind of stuff happening, especially in like high profile areas. You know, if you could get into some major department store in the UK and, and stick a QR code on something at the till or something like that, you know, even if you only get 20 minutes of traffic going through and clicking on your link, that might well be in inverted commas worth it. But uh, anyway, Jess, QR code, you're a big fan. You know, uh, my husband's in food and beverage. Uh, My son works at a smoothie shop. I think QR codes had a wonderful year in 2020 and 2021 because everybody started going to paperless menus. And all of a sudden, everybody had to learn how to do a QR code on their phone if they wanted to figure out what to eat. Um, and you know, my son works at a smoothie shop and they, uh, they don't have like an app to order ahead, but they have a QR code at the exit saying order ahead next time. And if you scan the QR code, it adds an entry to your address book with their phone number and their website. Um, so I think people are using it in cool and interesting ways. And I think it's smart for Jetpack to incorporate it because, you know, I don't know if my son's smoothie shop is using Jetpack, but now I have to check. Um, But I will say that how easy is it to have something built by your website that you could just go and put anywhere and have all of that controlled from the same place? I think it's super smart and love them or don't love them. I think QR codes are here to stay for a little bit. I saw a really nice implementation of it. And it was just, you know, I don't know what it's like in the US, but basically when a house goes on for sale here, they stick a wooden post in the in the ground outside that house. And then there's this big sign. We just call it a for sale sign. And it basically says for sale. And typically it's got the number of the of the real realtor, you call it. We call them estate agents. Um, and the idea is that you phone back and you make an appointment to go and see it. Well, some clever person is, is now printing those boards with the QR code embedded in it. So it's not a sticker. It's actually in the print process for that board somehow. And so you can then just, as you're walking past the house, you can see what's on the inside. You can get directly to the photos. And I, awesome. I kind of thought, well, that's genius because how many times have I walked past properties and thought, do you know, I'm really, and then I forget. I'm really, I like that. I want to yeah. know more about it. And then I just wander on and forget. Whereas if I'd had the chance to see inside and what, what is it like, what are the room's like, what's the garden like and so on. So I thought that was kind of cool. And I saw did, quite a few people doing it as well. And so, uh, so it's definitely did they replace? Working. Did that replace the uh, pamphlets? that were there before, like before QR codes, there yeah. were pamphlets on the site, Yes, right? 
Yes, that's yeah. right. Yeah. And well, the pamphlets were always gone. Yeah, Every time well, yes. look at a house, they're always gone, but a QR code can't get used up. So that's but we cool. never We never used that strategy in the UK. And I would imagine that the word precipitation is why we never had pamphlets, because <laughs> it would, within 24 hours, say. just be a soggy, completely soggy mess of, of pamphlets. So yeah, we never did do that. But okay, that was point number one. QR codes, dead cool. I can imagine they're going to just grow and grow. But this one, I love this. This is Openverse, which is the freely available resource of images um, which are being uploaded by people such as Michelle Frechette, who's in the comments. So essentially, we've talked about this a few times, Openverse, if you wish to make your images available on Openverse, you can, and then they will be available to anybody. And now, if you've got the Jetpack plugin, previously you had the option to do things like your media library, obviously, and Google Photos was in there as well. But now the Openverse is going to be in there. So the ability to get completely free images where you, you know for a fact that there's no constraints on the licensing, whatever you put in there is yours to do with as you like. Um, that's now in there. So essentially, it's there it is. It's just a button. You can see it on the screen. Select an image. Pick Openverse, browse the resource. A little modal pops up with a search box. Do a bit of searching, click a button, and you're in. And I think this is absolutely brilliant. We talked talked on the show a few weeks ago about this, and we were thinking that maybe in the future, hopefully in the future, you will be able to make your own images in your own media library available on the Openverse at some point in the future. So basically, if you own a website, any image that you throw in there, you could toggle a button and say, can we make this one available um, against my name in the Openverse? So that's kind of cool. So again, I'll throw that out. Maybe we'll go Jess first this time. I just think it's a brilliant idea and yeah. I love it. And I love, well, I love seeing photos from friends that I know but, you know, they don't make a big deal out of who uploaded them. But, you know, Michelle's are in there, like you said. I have a couple other friends who've submitted photos. And it's just exciting. And I think it's, you know, it speaks to the heart of WordPress. Share and nice. share alike, y'all. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it. <laughs> that should become the slogan. <laughs> it's like democratizing <laughs> publishing. Off you go. Share and share alike, y'all. I like that. Um, yeah, Robert, your thoughts. Oh, I mean, it's the same. I really do enjoy the fact that they found they made they built a platform, right? This wasn't this wasn't designed. It was built. They're running the servers to maintain this network of these images are, you know, Creative Commons. Anybody can use it. Uh, you know, share and share alike. Uh, and I think that's that that keys into something that makes WordPress so powerful. Yeah, yeah, and the fact that it's totally free in your dashboard is, yeah, sublimely cool. So, yeah, Jetpack, if you're a user of that, you've got two new fabulous features right inside your WordPress dashboard. Okay, let's move on. Um, I just wanted to have a conversation around this. This is Justin Tadlock on the Tavern once again. He's he's talking about the fact that he's stumbled across this block-based theme called Grigora. I presume you pronounce that as Grigora. Um and he talks about the benefits of it. He talks about things that he likes, like it's got a built-in sidebar, which he thinks is cool because most block-based themes don't have this, even though, you know, it looks like most designers these days kind of do away with the sidebar pretty early on. But nevertheless, and he's managed to build himself a nice theme. But his point in this article is that he likes themes which don't do very much. I think he calls it like a starter theme. And essentially, all it does is it provides you with the groundwork, and then it's up to you. So it, it doesn't come with bells and whistles. It doesn't come with 
you know, you can do portfolios and we've already taken care of the CSS to give all your images rounded corners and all of that. It's just bare bones. It's on you to make it feel nice. So that was the conversation that I had to have around this. Do you guys, when you create your WordPress websites, do you go for a like a starter theme like this, which is really bare? Or do you go out and hunt for a theme which closely matches the bit the, the, let, let's say the industry or whatever it is that you you want to do. I do what Justin does. I pick a bare bones theme, something like Generate Press works beautifully for me. It's got very little in terms of styling at the beginning, and um, but I have to do the work to make it look nice. So yeah, I was just curious as to which model you go down: fully featured theme or something bare like this. Let's start with Robert this time. Yeah, um, yeah, I'm definitely one of the bare bones. Like I don't need the bells and whistles. Um, in fact, sometimes the bells and whistles cause some problems. Yep. I don't like to have to update a theme for a security issue or something of the such. But the the big one that I do is uh, my favorite theme is the 2020s or the 20 series. I'd hate to say yeah. it, but the real basics. And I forgot which year. I think it was 2019 is like my favorite or 2018, which is because it's already simple. And it's just every, it's all the basics, what you need. And I, I start with that. And then if uh, the site gets bigger, then I'll consider a, a more you know mature theme. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Jess? <clears throat> so mine's uh, mine's a little interesting because I worked for Studio Press for so long. Um, mm. I am a believer and a lifelong lover of Genesis and all of its themes. Um, but, you know, as far as this block stuff goes, I love Frost WP. Yep. Um, it's another Brian Gardner release, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. Do I go hunting? Yeah. Um, to the genesis library <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> or to frost um you know my website it has a non-genesis theme but that's just because i saw somebody else have it on their website and i liked it so i made it my own that could sometimes <laughs> be the best way to stumble across things isn't it you you just you find somebody something that somebody's done and i confess i did that not that long ago i just saw something that somebody had done and i quick inspection figured out what the theme was and thought yep That'll do for this little simple thing. Is the the Frost WP thing, if memory serves, that's a that's a selection of block patterns, isn't it? Which you can then just chuck into whichever theme you like. But in your case, it would most likely be a Genesis-based theme, right? That's right. It's a full site editing theme. Um, and I think it's absolutely brilliant. It's clean. It's fast. And it's everything that you would want it to be. I don't know that it's exactly like you're saying, a starter bare bones. Um, but I'm okay with that because I you know i i like easy yeah yeah is <laughs> you you know you were saying that you've been in genesis right from the beginning i feel like if we were having if we were doing this podcast eight ten years ago well maybe not as much as 10 but you know uh, quite a lot of years ago we would be talking every single week about genesis it would have been just been what everybody was talking about the a, a significant proportion of the people would have been using does does the genesis community and that theme does it still have that same um strength behind it are there still people who are as passionate about it and you know if you need problem solving with it you can still find answers over there yes but oh, i nice. will say that since wp engine acquired it um along with studio press hosting back when some years ago um i think that it kind of changed its role in the market but there are absolutely still people that are devoted to genesis it absolutely still has the support and the innovation um because you know quite frankly it has the wp engine money behind it yeah <laughs> so yeah. they can afford to continue doing awesome things with it 
Yeah. And the work that they're doing now with blocks, you know, they're they're really moving with the industry as opposed to just continuing their course. And I think it's really smart. When I came into WordPress, it was about the time when Genesis, I feel, was probably at its peak. And so all of the people were talking about Genesis all of the time. But then really soon after I came into the space, these page builders came along. Yep. And all of a sudden, I was pretty much hooked on those and thought, this is just such a great tool for making my job easier. And I'll accept the limitations of the fact that everything's constrained in a row and all of that. But it, it, so it, that, that whole Genesis thing passed me by. I think if I'd come in six months earlier, I probably would have gone all in on Genesis and maybe not quite so much with the page builders. But anyway, there we go. Um, yeah, okay. So that's the result of that one. Where is my toggle? There it is. Right, great. Okay, let's flip out of WordPress for a bit. We've got about roughly half an hour. I don't know if we'll stretch the, the episode out this week to half an hour. We've got a few stories left. This one I just think is really, really interesting. And I, I don't know what people are going to make of this because over the last period of time, uh, lots and lots of SaaS platforms have come out. You, you can probably name two or, two or three, I would imagine. Things like, what was it called? <clears throat> Jarvis and things like that, where you could use GPT-3, which is like an AI language model, and you could essentially tell it, I would like you to create some content for me around this topic. You'd supply it with some, some basic information, and it would go off and unbelievably would come back with something that wasn't drivel. I mean, how have we got to the point where you can even do that? But you can. Now, the, the obvious problem is if you can create long pieces of content and all you need to do is supply it with a little seed of knowledge and get it started, what's to stop people from simply abusing the system and constantly churning out content which is human readable feels like it's been written by a human but but never really touched a human um and you know you put out a ten thousand word article one day and another one the next day and another one the next day you're basically trying to game seo now not saying that that's the way that everybody uses it we'll come to that in a minute but here we go google have now taken a posture on this this is search engine journal Google says, wow, this is big. Google says that AI-generated content is against its guidelines. I'll quote, content generated automatically using AI writing tools is against Google's webmaster guidelines, says search advocate John Mueller. And if you know anything about search engines, he's the guy really, isn't he? Um, he said that automatic generated content generated with AI writing tools is considered spam according to the search engine's webmaster guides. The content written in this way falls under the category of auto-generated content, which could lead to a manual penalty. I don't really know what that means. And there's essentially, there's lots more descriptions of the same thing. But here's the rub. It would appear that Google doesn't really yet know how to spot auto-generated content. And so here's the question. It says, can Google understand the difference between content written by humans and content written by machines? Mueller makes no claims about Google's detecting AI written content automatically. He says, I can't claim for that. But for us, if we have something that is automatically generated, then web, the WebSpan team can definitely take action on that. 
I don't know how the future will evolve, but I imagine like any other with these technologies, there will be a little bit of cat and mouse don't you know it? This is going to be the story going on for years, isn't it? Where sometimes people will do something and they'll get away with it. And then the web spam team catches up and solves the issue on a broader scale. And there's more. But basically, that encapsulates it perfectly. So now you need to be mindful. If you are using these tools to literally create content, you need to be careful. Um, I had a, a conversation on the podcast with Andrew Palmer and Vito Peleg, who have a, a product, a plugin called Bertha AI, which uses GD, uh, GPT-3. And they were at great pains during that conversation to say the best way to use it. Or, sorry, Vito and Andrew, if I'm misquoting you, but you did go to great lengths to say the best way to use it is to seed content and then write it based upon the ideas that are given to you. So... There's no indication that if you do that, if it's if you are literally just getting ideas for how paragraphs might be structured or pieces of, you know, ideas for the content flow or the different topic ideas, things that you hadn't thought about before and ways of phrasing things, there's no sense of that. But it would appear now that Google definitely want you to go in and at the very least edit the bits and pieces that you're doing. So... With that in mind, it feels like a whole industry has grown up over the last year or two trying to sell this like snake oil as the solution to all of your content creation needs. Now we might find that that was folly. I don't know. Either of you doing this, tried this, played with this, regretting this? <laughs> Let's start with Jess. Well, I think Robert in the chat made a really good point. You know, AI is okay to do show notes for a podcast but not for the blog post. Um, and I think that there are good uses for AI. Um, for example, when it comes to transcriptions, I use a service um, called Simon that I think is brilliant and it's AI driven and it gets most of it right. Yeah. Um, and so the fact that I can like feed in something and have it spit out the content is fantastic. But would I use that to write a whole blog post? Well, it's based on somebody's words. Um, Simon didn't come up with them. So, I mean, that's a different situation. I think when it comes to using computers to write entire blog posts, you're kind of taking the heart out of it. And so... That's nicely said, yeah. I, I think that, you know, could you? Sure. Would they know? I don't know. But it takes away the whole point of doing this. You know, we're, we're writing to share ideas. We're writing to educate. We're writing to make a case for something. Um, having a computer do your work for you just feels so stale. Yeah. Do, do you think, so in your case, uh, I don't know how frequently you blog or, or anything like that, but in your case, that's obviously holding true for you and you're writing things because you have something that you wish to say. I'm just wondering on the sort of slightly darker side of the web, if you like, where people are literally writing to game SEO in order to drive traffic, in order to then show you a banner ad for something, you know how it goes. This That concern doesn't even exist. And I guess my concern is that if this stuff is being pumped out at a rate which only a computer can pump things out, is the internet just going to be some, come so deluged with content that it's going to become almost impossible in the years to come for Google to give us anything meaningful. Because really all that we've, you know, rewind 10 years when all you had to do was click right in the footer of your website, 
tons of keywords, make it the same color as the back. You know, the background color was the same as the text color. So it was invisible. That was enough. You could do it. And Google would be like, oh, look, loads of content there. That's great. And rank you. Now they've gotten much more clever. But now you're pitting Google's AI to spot the fraud, the, the, the AI content, against the AI content writing machines. So you've just got AI content being read by Google, being created, and it's just this tennis of, oh, look, more hands. It's just this tennis of, yeah, it's just this tennis of AI gets better, Google has to catch up, AI gets better. And in the meantime, the entire enterprise of the internet gets flooded with stuff that really nobody wants potentially to read because there's been no human in it at all. A uh, couple of thoughts on what you just said. Number one, Google's not the only search engine. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but number two, I, uh, for me, it's a moral thing. Yeah. Um, you know, not everybody lives by morals. That's why they call it black hat SEO. Uh, but number three, their entire teams dedicated at Google and some of these other places to ensure the best experience possible. And I guarantee you, they're going to figure out a way to find out how they're doing yeah. this. I wonder um, how they're going to figure that out. That must be such an interesting puzzle to unlock. Probably some uh, Bobby Trop ta Drop Tables friends over there. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Any thoughts on don't this? Don't transcribe Robert? that. <laughs> <laughs> it's, Robert? it's really interesting. The, um, yeah. yeah, what they're doing, what Jess mentioned earlier, it's like the heart of it, right? And what I've gone to, and I've actually searched Google or, or, and other search engines uh, in my life. Uh, but the other day, I actually searched and I came up across an article and the article was useless. Because to me, I, when I use a search engine, I, I have a problem. I'm trying to research information and I'm trying to find solutions. And when the article is just telling me, it's just regurgitating this basic information, basic mm -hmm. information, it's just, it's useless to me. Um, maybe we see this mostly on like the recipe websites, right? Like I, I want the recipe and the good recipe websites give me the link right away. They don't force the ads on me, but the bad recipe websites, maybe, you know, if that's all AI generated content, uh, it was just there, or if, if it wasn't even AI generated content, I didn't not need to know about that person's day and about how they spent the day at a boba shop or something in order to get my recipe for a, a pumpkin puree pie. Uh, so it's, it's that thing is like, in the end, it, who it harms is Google's product, right? Because when I search a thing and in the little search bar at the Google or at, at Bing or what the other one's DuckDuckGo, I should mention, since I'm a security guy, uh, you need to get the results that are relevant for what you're looking for. And I think that's what Google is protecting here. And we saw what, what they're doing now, what they admitted in the article is they're doing human or you know yes. manual. That's what they mean. They're yeah. pitting humans against AI. And maybe this will be the great story of, a, of our generation of humans fighting off AI bots of bad content. That's beautifully put, isn't it? Because maybe, maybe, this, is an actu maybe this is a moment where the real quality stuff can start to rise to the top because rather than just automating everything on Google insert name of search engine, the there's a job for humans to do and they're going to notice that, boy, this, this blog has been doing this wonderful stuff for years. Let's give it the extra credential that it needs because it really does look like a human's done that. And I would imagine that over time, their technology will pick up. Maybe it's the way that the sentences are passed, or you know, the 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 use of certain 
gr grammatical phrases or something like that, that they can figure out what the AI-based content is. But yeah, maybe it's an, an opportunity for the human to get involved again and give give an extra bit of a ranking push to the to the websites that actually are obviously doing the the real work behind the scenes. By the way, don't know if you've come across this one before. New search engine for you. Um, which I've now flipped over to. I've been using DuckDuckGo exclusively for about two years. And then the other day, I came across a new one. I think I mentioned it on last week's episode. And it's a search engine created by the guy who created Manage WP. And it's called Kagi. And you spell it K-A-G-I dot com. Uh, at the minute, you have to you have to join a waitlist, but I joined the waitlist, and it took about two weeks. And it is in beta, and it's going to be paid for search. You're going to have to pay them every year uh, to be able to use their search engine. And do you know what? On the basis of what I've seen so far, I'm going to pay them. Because there's no commercial interest apart from the ability to make the search better and better. You know, they're not going to be, they've got no thoughts about advertising. They're just going to work on a paid for model. Uh, and I just think that's really ingenious. And I, I'm a heavy user of the internet. I imagine that for the vast majority of people, that would be really, a, 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 you know, the kind of money that, that it's no way are people going to pay for search. But if they can get 10,000, 100,000 people like me who are heavy users of the internet and see the benefit in paying, um, who don't, you know, who don't want to see the ads and who don't want something that's uh, designed just for you on a Wednesday because last week you looked for, I don't know, soap or whatever it might be. It's just the search. It's what we give everybody else. That one. Anyway, Kagi, K A. GI.com. And I don't know if it's, I don't know if either of you two are looking at that page. Is it still on a wait list or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. It took about, took about two weeks and uh, so far brilliant. The only, the only downside is the image search isn't quite as good yet. You know, you get, you get a few, maybe a half, two dozen images instead of the more or less endless amount of images that you get with, um, with something like Google, but uh, yeah. Paid for. Maybe they need to partner with you yeah. first. Yeah, he's got a WordPress background, doesn't he? He knows his he knows his WordPress stuff. Would you guys pay for search? Hmm, tricky, right? I think I would definitely well, sign up for it, like you did, and yeah. see what the quality is. Because, yeah. like I said, I, I've searched Google, and the results have been not quality. So if I'm seeing quality, I don't mind paying a couple of bucks. I don't know how the price is, but I'm sure after I, I sign up for the beta, they'll tell me. Yeah, well, they're not even at that point yet. They're still, I think they're just basically seeing what, you know, what people are up to and how it works and they're trying to optimize it. So at the minute, if you get through the beta hurdle, you you basically have it completely free. And as far as I can tell, it's lightning fast. It gives me exactly what I want. You know, for the typical arrangement of searches that I do, questions and so on, uh, and also just searching for particular websites, it gives me them in more or less the exact same order that Google would do. Slight variation, but usually what I want rises to the top. Um, but maybe if I was asking it complex questions or asking it to translate, I don't know, one currency into another or figure out what the weather is in Colorado on the 24th of June or something like that, maybe it would be less good at that. But for the basic web search, it seems to be seems to be fine. What about you, Jess? Would you 
reach into your pocket for search. It's become free, know. right? It's free. <clears throat> well, it's free. It's not free. We're no, the product. Exactly. <laughs> um, and it reminds me of, you know, all this AI talk reminds me of one of my favorite shows. I watched every episode. It's called Person of Interest. Hmm. Now off the air. But it largely talks about what happens when AI becomes its own entity and what it can do. And, you know, the fact that we're even talking about this right now, I wouldn't be surprised to see certain things pop up on Google for me. Just like, you know, the other day I mentioned something about a specific shoe. And all of a sudden, Google on that recommended stories list shows me that specific shoe. It's listening, it's watching, even if I don't type something into it. And so would I pay to have, you know, all of these things that are listening to me not get the reward of me buying stuff? I don't know. Yeah. It sounds interesting. I, I yeah. do have to think more about it. Um, you know, we've, we can vote with our money. And, yeah. uh, I think it's just, it's like, to me, the whole tracking on the internet, there's no big thing. There's no big concern that I can point to, but it's like death of a thousand paper cots. It's just yeah. tiny little infringements of my privacy. Just there's one over here and there's another one over here. And then I remember something from last week and then Facebook have now started to do this. And I can notice yeah. just as you said, that things that I casually dropped in somewhere or mentioned in a comment, suddenly I'm dominated by it. And I just feel this presence and I don't want to feel that presence. I just want to rock up to my computer and think, okay, I'm just going to be given unadulterated whatever whatever the algorithm for that platform thinks, not not all the other stuff going on in the background and not ads surfacing to the top that I don't really want to scroll through and, and all of that. So like I say, it's just death of a thousand paper cuts. I've got I've got no real problem with probably any one of those privacy concerns. It's just the big the big overall picture, but uh, I probably am getting to be a bit of a broken record on this podcast talking about that. But uh, I bet you're quite privacy focused, though, aren't you, Robert? I'm going to more or less guarantee that you've got all the firewalls up and you don't oh, click yeah, on. Yeah. yeah. Do well, you privacy use... is a huge thing. Yeah. Uh, I use specialty browsers, uh, delete cookies, uh, prevent. I do my best to not prevent, but to make it difficult for trackers to to be able to track me online because it's not just the search engines; it's whole advertising networks that are trying to build profiles on people and social media is part of the problem, but just part, you know, the advertising networks connected to the social media connected to uh, search engine results. Uh, so doing a good browser, which I also noticed uh, the creator of Kagi um, also has a browser, privacy focused browser. It's called Orion. Yeah. Orion. I've, I've got it. And it, it's, it's, it's based upon, it's a web kit. So it's, it looks and behaves like Safari, but you can install Chrome and Firefox extensions into it. Nice. This guy, he's really going for it, isn't he? Yeah, he's really giving it a That's go. Great. What do you do in your... Sorry, Jess, I'm totally hijacking the conversation here. What do you do in your browser? Have you got something like uBlock Origin in there, or do you use other... Uh, it depends. I have multiple browsers for multiple purposes, because I don't ah. want cross-contamination. Uh, so I'll use Firefox and Chrome and Brave as well, which yep. is another uh, privacy-focused one. Yep. And I'm probably going to start using Orion soon. I like having the, the basically so I can do some some degree of segregation. I I go, but I go personally go as far as I have different computers and different devices. I have multiple cell phones. This cell phone is for this purpose, <gasps> right? Like, wow. And, yeah, this computer is for this. You've got purpose. the full tinfoil hat. You've got yeah. the whole thing. Yeah. So you don't have any hair anymore. It burns. <laughs> I, I stood outside one day. It was really sunny and just gone. Uh, but the 
but yeah, you, it's it's not that hard to open up different browsers for different purposes, and it's really important because I used to be director of uh, security and privacy concerns at uh, companies, and I would tell support representatives, especially like your support tickets and the the browser you use for your support tickets and interacting with your customers' websites, especially if they're complaining about a compromised website. Like you've got to segregate that from all of your work related stuff because something really bad could happen. You know, they could if if that browser is out of date, they could break the browser or break the sandboxing the browser has, and then start getting into you know your other tabs, or reading your cookies, right, your sessions or things like that. Um, modern browsers don't have this problem normally, but an O'Day or really uh, an unreleased exploit uh, would be a big big problem for a support representative to be targeted with. It's interesting you say that, and I'm going to keep this one going for a little while longer, if that's all right. I've got so this is my setup on a day-to-day -day basis. I'm using Brave, uh, and Brave I've got um, basically I've got LastPass in there as an extension, and I've got uBlock Origin, and then a couple of other things which are just fairly utilitarian for the sort of things that I do. Um, and then anything social lives over in Firefox. And I've got the, what is that tool called? It's called, let me just say, it's called multi-account containers. Mm -hmm. So th there's, a, there's an extension made by Mozilla, which sits inside of Firefox, means that every time you open anything that connects to Facebook, it will open in the Facebook container. So if I right-click and open in a new tab, it won't just be in a... It, it, everything Facebook is in a Facebook container. Everything Slack is in a Slack container. Everything Google is in a Google container. And, and it will automatically switch those on. So Facebook is contained, I hope. And then I've got uh, Safari for other things, just like you said, my work-related stuff and anything which I use for like paying for stuff, that's over in Safari. So I'm like you. I need a tinfoil hat. I don't think it'll fit on my slightly white hair, though. Um, but it's okay, yeah. they, they come custom size. It's pretty easy. <laughs> to make a tutorial. That's fascinating that you do all of that. I thought I was the only one. <laughs> That's great. Are we mad, uh, Jessica? Do you do any of this or a bit overkill? I've been a paying member of EFF for years, so oh, good no. for you. On on one hand, I hear deleting cookies, and you know. I sell things. So obviously my heart's like, oh, not you too. But on the other hand, I'm like, yeah, you go. Yeah. Because I <laughs> I know we're not using it for nefarious purposes, but, you know. Yeah, I have a sort of hygiene thing going in which in every browser, typically about once a month, I'll just clean everything. I, I use the destroy everything from all time and just go for that and, you know, hope yeah. hope that LastPass keeps the passwords and I just log into everything once again. And I, I find that to be, to be quite useful. There was a period of time where I was using Google Maps and allowed Google Maps to just track me everywhere. And I went for about three years allowing Google to see every step that I took and about two years ago, I went through it all and looked. And whilst it was quite fun to look at it, I thought, I don't need to know that. And Google doesn't need to know. They don't really care where I was on the 14th of June in 2016. Yeah. It didn't really matter. So that yeah. all went as well. The good thing about Google, though, is that you can delete it. My understanding is that on the Facebook side, trying to get Facebook's claws out of your data is a lot more difficult. You have to go through many, many more hoops to actually yeah. delete your stuff. Anyway, we've got lost. We went down a security yeah. rabbit hole, and I am sorry for that. Uh, okay, let's see. It what was fun, got. though. Oh, it wait was a minute, nice. Wait a minute. Yeah. It was fun. I can keep going. I can keep going. 
Yeah. If you guys want we'll to- have you back. <laughs> we'll have you back, Robert, and we'll just drone on about security endlessly. And both of us will wear tin foil hats throughout the entire episode. And uh, <laughs> Deal. yeah, yeah, I promise. Um, okay, I'm going to miss the one about the. Actually, I'm not. I'm just going to put it on the screen. I'm going to put this one in the show notes, but go and Google. It's the BBC article. Go and Google or search. I should swap that term, shouldn't I? Go and search for researchers in Hong Kong create soft robot made of magnetic slime. Anybody who's watching this live, look, how how is that a robot? How, what? It's literally like slime moving itself. Uh, I don't know what to say. It's very Terminator 2. Isn't it? it? It is literally something out of a dystopian sci-fi film. You can imagine that stuff just multiplying and slowly taking. Look at it! Just look! Look! It can roll itself up, and <laughs> isn't that mental? <laughs> well, I think you sh- were saying before the show that they're talking about putting this in people's bodies to like take stuff out. On the screen right now, they've literally sliced it up. They've cut it with scissors into multiple parts, and then they just pushed the bits back together, and it became whole again. And now it's kind of corralling, like sheepdog style, some little ball bearings across some... It, this is just eerie. Anyway, go and check it out. But don't watch it if you get queasy, because it is a bit like, ooh, what is that? Uh, <laughs> let's let's go for this one next. We're still off. We're off, um, we're off on a kind of tangent here, aren't we? It's more security-related <laughs> stuff. Crypto. Look at this. There's a grenade on the screen. Q1, crypto loses losses spike 695% on year following massive hacks. I genuinely don't get crypto right at the very start. I bought a Bitcoin for 80 cents, managed to get a Bitcoin for 80 cents. About two months after that, I used it to buy a year of VPN service. And now it would be worth like, you know, like $50,000 or something. I got 12 months of a VPN service. Woo! Uh, I did really great there. But that was my dalliance with it. I thought it was very clever and ingenious. But it it seems to me, uh, can anybody hear something? Is no. it just me? No, it's that BBC tabs. It had start once it had completed the video, it started another one and I could hear it in my headphones. Um, it looks like everybody's getting into crypto and... I think in some cases, many people, maybe they don't quite understand it or they don't do the due diligence and people are putting in things and assuming it's watertight and rock solid. Um, but it would appear that lots and lots of money is getting lost into hacks. People essentially compromising the network. Uh, there's one here called Axie Infinity's Ronin Network just last week. Lost six. I mean, it pains me to even say this number. Lost six. $125 million of people's money. I mean, what? Money or coins. Coins. Yeah. But I guess yeah. at the tr- time of writing, that was what it was worth if it could mm. be translated. This stuff just bothers me. Do, do people, do we want decentralized money? Is that is that an aspiration? I know it's quite cool, um, but I'm just not sure I want I want to be involved in maintaining the sanctity of my money and making sure it's there today and tomorrow and always in the future. I don't really want a key that can be stolen to be controlling my money. You know, I want there to be bricks and mortar places where gold bullion is stored behind bars and all of that kind of stuff. Uh, what are your thoughts on this? Does this stuff scare you? Are you into crypto? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to guess, Robert, you know more about this than all of us put together. 
I'll let Jess go first if she would like. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, you know, on the upside, it's deregulated. On the downside, it's deregulated. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I just, I know that there are a lot of people who are big believers, and I think that there's an interesting future for this. But having seen firsthand what happened when my uncle died of COVID unexpectedly, um, he had not shared his wallet password and everything in his bank is gone and they will not share it with his family. Um, because, you know, you have to provide certain sorts of identification and a picture of yourself and all of this. And because they can't do that because, you know, he's passed. Deregulated. It's yep. gone. Yeah. So there's a lot of risk involved and it's just, you know, do you, do you have the appetite for that? And are you a believer in this whole blockchain concept? I think the blockchain concept, I think, is cool. But yeah, yeah. when it when it starts to be money and what have you. Anyway, sorry, Robert, I interrupted. Yeah, no, I, I got to jump in there. I'm just holding myself back. So you got to differentiate blockchain from the networks that are maintaining your wallets, right? If, if your uncle had a physical wallet or if, if any of the users of this uh, service that got hacked had a physical wallet that they were protecting their own keys themselves, then yeah. you, you're less of a risk. Part of the problem with Bitcoin and many of these definance networks or all this new uh, basically money currency trading systems is, is, I mean, they've always been hacked. Uh, Mt. Gox was one of the first ones. Yeah, I remember and that. Back then it was millions of dollars. Nowadays, it would be billions of dollars of various cryptos being compromised. But that was not a fault of the blockchain. That was yeah. a fault of the people not securing uh, you know, the wallets. And I think, yeah, what Jess brought up with uh, deaths, um, that's a big thing because I dealt with death with my father. I was the executor of the estate and I had to go into banks and I had a hard enough time then, let alone trying to contact some online service that has no support representatives like uh, and what try to talk to them and convince them, please, like, here's a here's a death certificate. There was a talk not too long ago. I mean, I also learned this when I was the executor of the state. It's not hard to fake a death certificate. It's certainly illegal, but it's not hard. You know, sending sending some fraudulent documents could result in social engineering attacks again. And the problem there isn't the blockchain. It's the the networks that are basically the banking or the website they're using to to buy and trade your cryptos. So a lot of that comes down to is make sure that you know, these services, if you're into that sort of thing, make sure they're really serious about security. Mm. They, the, this, again, more eye-dropping. Uh, uh, eye-dropping? Is that a phrase? Eye-popping, I think is what I want to say. Number, check this sentence out. There has been a loss in air quotes, of about $1.23 billion across the Web3 ecosystem in the first quarter of 2022. Let me just read that again. $1.23 billion in the first three months of this year. And yeah, I know there's crime. There's always crime. But it seems to me, and this sentence sums it up perfectly. Uh, so this is... Uh, this just sums it up. So given this number and the fact that a single mistake in code could mean that hackers get immediate access to hundreds of millions of dollars, it makes sense that black hats are interested in getting a slice of that pie. And that's the point, right? If there's an error in the code, you could have everything. It could just all disappear. 
Whereas I'm guessing that your bank has an obligation if their code is in error, I'm guessing the bank has an obligation to make good the theft of that money in some way, shape or form. So I, I think blockchain is incredible and I think it's got multiple uses. I'm just worried that we're all going to go down the route of putting our money into this only to wake up one morning to discover that it's gone missing. We've got absolutely no way of getting it back. It just seems right. seems time to take stock and regulate something that's deregulated <laughs> well and to be clear i wasn't i wasn't pooping on blockchain i personally am a believer in blockchain but usually mm. when people refuse to participate in this stuff that's what they have a problem with yeah and i think we need to start making believers out of people if crypto's ever really going to gain the traction that it needs um, it does it does seem that the people that are cheerleading crypto at the minute in all of its forms not just to do with money but it does seem that the big institutions are now getting into it to the point where you do wonder wonder if they've sunk so much money into it that they have to make it a success uh it does seem to be the direction of travel it's now no longer the little you know it's not the linux crowd anymore it's the big corporate bank of america crowd that are yeah. starting to take interest in it so not yeah anyway governments as well yeah uh, yep some governments are, are adopting it accepting payments in bitcoin and and other is various it, coins so it's really quite now surprising. the official currency of venezuela hmm. I don't know if it is still. Um, oh. I hope. Did <laughs> I it, hope it's working yeah, out. Yeah, it, it did for a period wow. of time. Become, it became the official currency of, a, of, a, of an international country that we've all heard Holy of. Smokes. Substitute Venezuela for something else yep. uh, for a period of time. And I don't know if that period of time still exists. But you can yep. imagine the chaos that must have ensued amongst the people who are just Luddites, don't care about technology. What? What? That, what? <laughs> Hang on. Oh, dear. Right. Last one. Uh, I just wanted to raise this one. We're still miles. Look at that beautiful picture. I think that's brilliant. Um, this has got nothing to do with WordPress. I just thought I'd, I'd share this with you because I just think it's hysterical. This is called A Recipe for Invisible Art, just sold for over $1 million. I'm going to read it. In 1958, artist Eve Klein famously opened an exhibition called The Void, which saw him place a large cabinet in an otherwise empty room. Thousands of paying visitors turned up at a Paris gallery to catch a glimpse of nothing at all. Following the show's success, the French artist then took the idea one step further by giving the collectors the chance to purchase a series of non-existent and entirely conceptual spaces in exchange for a weight of pure gold. So basically, you could give him gold, lots of gold, and in return, he would give you a conceptual empty space. Just let that sink in for a minute. Um, now, in, in return, the exchange wasn't completely empty, though, because he'd give you like a receipt. And on the screen, I'm showing you one of these receipts. And it was eight inches wide. And basically, it says you have bought with your gold. Um, how You've bought something called a zone of immaterial pictorial sensibility. That's what you bought. Now, as if that weren't crazy enough, somebody this week purchased one of those receipts. So they purchased the eight-inch eight square piece of paper or eight-inch rectangular piece of paper for, now take a breath, what was the number? I've lost it. Oh, my goodness. 1.16 1 million dollars. What? <laughs> 
So they bought a receipt for something that bought nothing in the past except for empty space for $1.6 million. And I, I thought this was in part hysterically funny, really like just ludicrously funny, like how can this happen? And then a bit of me kicked in and just thought, please, just give it to a hospital or something. You know, what, what, are you, what are you doing spending $1 million? How have we got to the point where somebody with that, uh, that amount of wealth can see the value in that? I guess they're going to argue they're buying a piece of history and buying a piece of art. But I don't suppose any of you have got anything to say about that. But that was my final piece of silliness at the end of the show. My first thought is laundering. And if not laundering, call me because I have other ways to spend that money. Yeah, just right over here, I have a more or less empty glass of water. And if I just quickly drain it, mm, now it's empty, but it's full of conceptual water. Um, and I'm willing to part with, a, you know, I'm willing to part with all of the conceptual water in this glass for, I don't know, $60? That's fine. Yeah. You know, I'll, t I'll take that. That's fine. Admin at WPBuilds.com if you want to buy my conceptual water. But that's it. That's all we got uh, on the show today. Thank you so much for coming, Robert. I hope you enjoyed it, and I hope you come back you. and we'll nerd out and wear tinfoil hats uh, another Sounds time. Like and Jess Frick, thank you very much for joining us as well. Just before we go, we often drop what we're doing this week. I'm just going to be sitting here recording more podcast episodes. What are you up to, Robert? Um, yeah, I am actually probably going to be submitting a talk for WordCamp that's coming up in the US. And I've got a weekly podcast that I'm going to release on the Patchstack website. I think this week's subject is WordPress security history. Nice. That's very cool. Thank you very much. And Jess, what are you doing? Lots of cool work. Um, I'll give you guys a WP Builds only sneak preview. Oh, we love but these. We're going to be releasing my pressable playgrounds. So it's not a free trial. But we're going to give you a way to actually experience a my pressable account without buying anything. So you can uh, see how Jess, awesome it is for yourself. I'm going to interrupt you. I don't know if it was the same for you, Robert, but she just broke up horribly when you were saying that. So oh. all of the facts. So what you said was, I'm going to give you this fabulous like scoop for WP bills and then just nonsense. It was just like, oh, eh, no, eh, eh, eh. I that's did okay. That. Just, just do it again. Just do it again. <laughs> yes. What are you doing this week? <laughs> well, we're working on releasing Pressable Playground, which is going to be a really cool way for you to experience the Pressable interface like a real customer. You can set up sites and do all the cool things, kick, you know, try all the buttons, um, push the levers, and you don't have to pay a thing. So we're going to be putting that out. We're pretty excited. Oh, that is cool. Uh, where do we find out about that? Is that is, are you dropping an email somewhere or putting a web page online at some point soon? Well, it's going to be on pressable.com. We'll have links okay. from there and you can check it out. Thank you so much. Right, Robert, you're unaware of this little bit, but we all have to do the jazz hands. If you're willing to do the jazz hands, we do the jazz hands. Go on, Jess, everybody. All oh, we're going to go. We're going to go yeah, to. Oh, everybody. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There we, and that then I can Yay. screenshot that and use that as the album art. But uh, that's it. We're done. We'll be back next week. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for dropping into the comments. You all have a fabulous week and we'll see you next time on This Week in WordPress. <laughs>